It's great to um, be with you and sharing uh, the public worship and also uh, around God's Word. You have a, an outline in the bulletin. Please don't be too distracted by the acronym. We'll come to that in due course. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly bow before you as we come to read Mark and inwardly digest your word. And we pray that through the Spirit, your word might be written on our hearts and that through the Spirit we'll be equipped and empowered to be doers and not just hearers of your word. Uh, This is our earnest prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Does God answer prayer? I'm going to mention a uh, video clip of an interview uh, that my friend Mike Bird did with Graham Cole. Graham Cole was actually my classmate at Moore College some years back, and I'll give you the details. But the title for that interview was, Does God Answer the Prayer? Because Graham Cole was addressing some well-known evangelical scholars who were questioning Does God answer prayer? And does does prayer change things? Does prayer change God's mind? Does God answer prayer? If my calculation is correct, three weeks ago, Pastor Kamal preached on Psalm 103. You remember that sermon? Again and again, Pastor Kamal said to us, give the credit to God. Now, at the end of that service, if you remember, Pastor Eugene said that actually it was Pastor Elliot who was scheduled to preach on that particular Sunday, but that his family had COVID and sort of at the last minute, Pastor Kamal stepped in to preach. And then if my memory is correct, Pastor Eugene said, let's pray that we don't have any more unexpected changes to the preaching schedule. And there's some background to that. He knew I was due to have elective surgery. And what we didn't know is that uh, on the night before the surgery, my doctor called and my surgeon called me and said it had to be postponed one week. So originally I thought there would be ample time to recover from surgery. But I'm here today because God answers prayer. The few of you that knew that I was in hospital... Uh, were praying for me, and I believe God answered your prayer. For those of us who have a genuine personal relationship with God, answered prayer, the fact that God answers our prayer, is a sign of that relationship. And indeed, the fact that you and I, no, no matter what our background is, whether we're good at speaking, whether we're good in music, whether good in argumentation, whether good in drama or whatever, or whether we have a a, a sort of quiet inward personality, whoever we, we might be, if our experience is one of answered prayer, sharing that with others is a more powerful testimony than someone who, who gets up on the pulpit or or speaks via the internet and tries to convince people of the gospel. You see, for prayer... For, for the believer, 
Prayer is total and utter dependence on God, but it's in the context of an intimate, personal relationship with God. Now, if you cast your minds back uh, a bit further, we did a sermon series led by Pastor Eugene on the Lord's Prayer. Remember, this was uh, based on Matthew 6, 5 to 15. And we learned many things, or we were reminded many things about prayer. Firstly, not to pray like the hypocrites, who like to be seen when they pray. They want to be heard publicly, because for them, prayer is about themselves. It's not about God and what God is going to do. You see, prayer is not a public right, R-I-T, not some public religious activity we do, not some religious duty. Secondly, we were reminded not to babble on like pagans in prayer because they think they will be heard because of their many words, their many, many words, as if the technique in prayer, that the way you pray, the way that you announce, in the name of Jesus, as if that, that means your prayer is more powerful. Verse 8 of the passage says, Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So why pray? It's part of the relationship. Prayer arises from a relationship. And that's exactly what the Lord's Prayer reminded us of during that particular sermon series. A close relationship with God, we can call out to God at any time. And we're considering tonight one of the Psalms of David, King David, Psalm 20. And I want to recap a little bit about the personal uh, experience and the personal relationship uh, David had with God. Psalm 3, verse 4, To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answered me from his holy hill. Psalm 18, verse 6, In my distress I called to the Lord, I cried to my God for help. From his temple he heard my voice, my cry came before him into his ears. And Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Terence began the service, if you were here at that time, saying he didn't really know all of us here. What he means is he can see the outside. Only God can see the inside. And he said, there might be some here who are not yet in a relationship with God through Jesus, and you are searching. And if you're not yet in a relationship with God, as we discuss prayer, it's going to be something new for you. And I want to encourage you to realize that one of the great privileges of a new relationship with God through Jesus, and we've prayed and been reminded of the free gift of forgiveness of sins, one of the privileges is answered prayer. But for many of us who are believers, I trust as we look at various principles of prayer that we will look at from this psalm, uh, that it will be an encouragement for us as we develop our own individual prayer life. So we're going to look at uh, several points. The first is the context of prayer. Secondly, the contents of prayer. Thirdly, the contrast that prayer brings and then confidence of prayer by looking at the prayer of Jesus. David had a very clear and close, intimate relationship with God. 
when he was chosen by God and Samuel was sent to anoint him as king to follow on from Saul, God said, 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, this is a man after my own heart. And the Apostle Paul repeats the same comment about uh, uh, David in Acts 13, verse 22. Well, what about us, we who are here this afternoon? Do you and I uh, have a close personal relationship with God? Do we feel that we can pray to God directly at any time, in, in any place, in any situation we happen to be in? Do we truly believe we don't need an intermediary, a go-between, to consult, to ask, to pray on our behalf? Now, if you look at verses 1, 5, 6, 7, and 9, I'm not going to read them again, but if you look at those verses, you'll find that David refers to God as Lord, L-O-R-D, all in capitals, which I've mentioned before is the printer's way in our Bibles of uh, indicating this is God's personal name, his covenant name that's only given to his elect chosen people. And uh, if you read a Chinese Bible, it will have the Hebrew sort of transliterated in the Chinese. In Cantonese, it will be Ye Wa Wa. But for us in, in New Testament times, Romans 8.15, Galatians 4.6, Paul says, when we become sons and daughters of God through the Holy Spirit, we call God Abba Father. It's an Aramaic word indicating a very, very close relationship with God. So we can pray to God at any time, in any context, and in any place. Have you ever wondered, where is God when we pray? Geographically, have you thought about it? Where is God when we pray? In Psalm 20, David talks about, in verse 2, May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. The sanctuary refers to the temple, and Zion is the name of the hill on which the temple is situated. So it's saying the same thing. And then in verse 6, he points out God answers from his holy heaven. So it's both and. God is both in his sanctuary, but he's also in his earthly sanctuary, but he's also in his heavenly sanctuary in high heaven. But he's there, always ready to hear and to answer. <coughs> now, in the Old Testament times, when God gave the instructions to Solomon uh, to build the temple, this is around about um, 960 or so years BC, God gave the promise that his name and his glory would be in the temple which was a way of saying that God would be present with his people. And that's why, as we read through the prophets, particularly the prophet Isaiah, the word Zion becomes very important. It's not the physical temple. It's not the hill on which the temple is built. It's God's real and actual presence. <coughs> of course, in New Testament times, Christ has come, and when Christ was born at first Christmas, we were told he was born in fulfillment of the promise that his name would be Emmanuel, God with us, God present with us. And Paul, in fact, writes in his epistles that 
each of us individually, one by one, and together, collectively, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we have the promise that Jesus will dwell in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Indeed, in Romans 8, verse 26, Paul points out the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. So if we are a born-again believer, we have a relationship with God, we have the Holy Spirit, prayer ought to be part of our normal life, our normal spiritual life, together with God. And it's in, in this context, David can express his absolute confidence. We see this in verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves the anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. He doesn't just say, I'm holding on to the promise that God will hear. I'm holding on to his promise that God promised his name and his glory would be in the temple. But he says, now I know. And it's not intellectual knowledge. When we see the word know in the Old Testament, it's always intimately linked with personal relationship. Now, I think we all want uh, results from prayer. But if you look at the religions of the world, what gods can guarantee results? I think I've used this, this illustration before, so forgive me for repeating it. Um, Singapore has many um, uh, characteristic features, and one that most of you... Um, may not be aware of. Is anyone here from Singapore? I haven't got my glasses on. No. One of the characteristic features of Singapore is there are temples everywhere. But you don't see them because you only go to the tourist areas. And some of the temples are very small. They're in the housing estates. And we used to live in Princep Street, which is the 6th Street, Lok Malo in Cantonese, and the 4th Street, Se Malo. So Singapore was but these days people don't use uh, those names for the streets. But two blocks away, which is Waterloo Street in English, full of temples, big Guan Yin temples there, and it's packed. So certain temples are packed. And who goes to the temple? It's not like churches in Australia. Old foggies, let's go to church. No, young people, career young people. Why do they go to the temples? They believe they get answer to their prayers. They believe they get something from the offerings that they give. And if it doesn't work in this temple, they go to the other temple because their friends said, oh, I went to this other temple, this one in Topayo, you know. Part of prayer is we want to see results. Otherwise, it's just words. David says in verse 6, he knows that God answers and he knows God acts with his saving power. He knows that he acts with the saving power of God's right hand. And in the books of Moses, time and time again, we hear of Moses referring to God's outstretched hand, saving Israel from the Egyptians, providing in the wilderness wandering and so on. Now, remember again, Pastor Eugene's uh, sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, and one of his comments on the, the beginning of the prayer, Our Father in Heaven, it's not so much a reference to his locality. It's more a reference to his authority, more a reference to his power, and the more 
a reference to his being involved in the, in the world at large, but in your life and my life individually. So that's God. But what about the flip side? What about our relationship with God? And we see this in verse 3. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. It's a reference in Old Testament terms to the covenant faithfulness of God's people. Um, Terence read earlier on from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. God will always keep his word, but what about his chosen people? And God gave the sacrificial system in Old Testament times. If you are really interested, you can read the book of Leviticus. I think it's chapters 1 to 7. describes all the different types of sacrifices. Peace offering, peace sacrifice, guilt sacrifice, sin sacrifice. But the word sacrifice in verse 3, the first word, is a general word for all the sacrifices. And the burnt offering referred to that particular sacrifice where the whole animal was consumed by fire on the altar, which symbolized total offering to God, total dedication to God. And it was through this Old Testament sacrificial system that the Israelite could, in Old Testament terms, relate directly to God. The men and women of the Old Testament who were sinful, yet through this system could relate with God. But, but of course, what counted was their attitude, not the animal they brought. And we see this uh, when, when Samuel uh, warned Saul, 1 Samuel 13, 22, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Look at Psalm 51 and some of the other Psalms. David did offer the sacrifices. But what was more important was his heart, his contrite heart his attitude, his desire to be in a right relationship. And that's why God described him as a man after my own heart. And if you look at the Acts 13 verse 22 passage, when Paul cites this verse about David, he gives the full context. A man after my own heart, he will do everything I want him to. He didn't just say, Lord, I want to please you. Lord, I want to do your will. Lord, I want to fit in with your plan. He did say that, but he did it. So in Old Testament time, covenant faithfulness was important. But for us in New Testament times, I think many of us know of Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, that we are encouraged to present our bodies, our whole lives, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And we talked about the context of prayer, God's power available for us, but also what is our relationship to God? Are we presuming on God to answer our prayer? Are we presuming on God to intervene on our behalf? James 5 verse 16 says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I don't know if you, you visited other churches, you've been overseas, and you hear people pray, wow. Yeah, you get the impression, I, I've never heard people pray like that. What a powerful prayer. And it might appear to be a powerful prayer. 
But the more important thing, or the correct perspective, is not that prayer is powerful, but the God who answers prayer is powerful, and that you and I have a direct link with that powerful God, and that direct link is not hindered by sin or rebellion or disobedience. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And we're still looking at verse 6, because it talks about God's anointed. It's obviously, in this context, talking primarily about kings and himself as king. And we'll talk about God's anointed later on in the sermon. But in a sense, if we look at the message of the Bible as a whole, we're all anointed. Or we're all baptised by the Holy Spirit. And so that means that each one of us, no matter how the world views us, no matter how other people evaluate us, or what box they put us in, each one of us is precious in God's sight. And, and as Jesus said, the very hairs of our head are numbered. Our second point is the contents of prayer. Because we have an open, authentic relationship with God, whatever is in our heart, we can bring it to God in prayer. We don't have to work out, now, how do I express this? No, we just bring it to God in prayer. Uh, for example, from dis- uh, protection from distress, verse 1. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Uh, what about the desires of your heart? Verse 4, may he give you the desire of your heart and make you, all your plans succeed. If you haven't heard me say this, a text taken out of context is a pretext. A text, a text from scripture, a text taken out of context is a pretext. We need to know the context. What, what, does, what does David mean May he give you the desire of your heart and make your plan succeed. Let me suggest uh, uh, a parallel verse or supporting verse, Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Can you see the connection here? As we grow in our relationship with God, the more we know him, the more we seek to love him, the more we seek to please him, the more we seek to delight him, the more we seek to know his mind, it will result in the desires of our heart will be in accord with God's mind. And I think in our wicked catechism, the last part, as if it were our own will, so uh, where was it? Um, Sorry, I, I thought there was something on the bulletin. I, I, I didn't note it. So what we're saying is that as we grow in our relationship with God, what delights God should delight us. And that's the background to may he give you the desire or the delight of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Planning to get married next year? Planning to move house? Planning to get a new job? Planning to do further study to work on upgrading your career? That's fine. But are you delighting yourself in the Lord first of all? Uh, the, there was a church I knew that had an annual mission week, and for every uh, mission week they would have a theme. You know, every year different theme. And when you think about it, it's sort of like preaching at a, at a wedding. 
you know, if you preached in, in the same church for 30 years, uh, let's say 10 weddings a year, 30 times 10 at 300, I mean, what, what new wedding sermon can you preach, right? Um, so if you have a mission week every year and after 20 years, you know, you have to think of a theme, you know, can you think of a theme that's catchy and, and you know, grabs the attention? Well, one church had a theme, does your heart beat with the heartbeat of God? Sounds corny, doesn't it? Does your heart beat with the heartbeat of God? But it helps us to understand, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you, give you the desires of your heart. In other words, if you understand God's heartbeat, you want to share the gospel. You want to bring the, 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 the gospel of salvation to the people near as well as far. We're talking a, lot, talking a lot about heart. Who was David? Once again, a man after God's own heart. May he give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We're all making plans. We're not robots. We're not pre-programmed. And we don't just follow the program or the algorithm that's been worked out for us. Imagine David, he was king for, for some 40 years and he had to make plans and readapt the plans and change the plans. Often in challenging situations. But God was always there. But what about you and me in our plans? Is God in our planning? At the end of the book of James, Epistle of James, chapter 4, 13 and 17, he talks about planning. Planning for next year. And he talks about commerce. He talks about trade. Because you've got to have a, a product to sell. You've got to have consumers who will buy your product. You've got to have a place to make the product and distribute the product. You've got to have some sort of marketing strategy. You've got to invest some money to, to make the product and then get it out and then all that sort of thing. And that's what James 4, 13 to 17 is about. And then the key verse says, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. In other words, where is God in your planning? Are you delighting yourself in the Lord? Just before the Bible reading, Terence <clears throat> invited Chong to lead us in a special prayer. And we're looking at point to the contents of prayer, the different requests, the different aspects of our individual, our corporate life that we bring to God in prayer. And Chong prayed for the unity, in particular, uh, that we pray that God will give us uh, when the PM service joins with the AM service next year. And uh, this is the uh, verse at the bottom of uh, the, the bulletin, Ephesians 6, 18 to 19, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, and be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So in a sense, if we are close to God and close to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we are aware of their needs. And we should be bringing these uh, to God in prayer. So we've looked at the, the context of prayer, we looked at the contents of prayer, and now the contrast. Contrast means if prayer doesn't change anything, why pray? Does God answer prayer? And does prayer change things? So uh, some of you are my friends on Facebook, and you might have seen, I've posted, I think I've posted twice now, a clip of the interview with my friend Mike Berber, Graham Cole, and I think the clip is entitled, 
titled Does God Answer Prayer? So it's a little bit theological, but I think it's very, very appropriate. And if you don't have the link, let me know and I can, I can give you the link. And that's the wrong question. Of course God answers prayer. What you and I are more concerned about or pay attention to is when God answers prayer and how God answers prayer and what should our response be when God answers prayer. Of course things change as a result of prayer. There's a before and there's an after. Situations may change. Or we may change. The situation is still there, but we've changed. And the situation is not a threat anymore. In the Old Testament, this is a a sample example. We have Abraham bargaining with God. We have Moses begging God to act for the sake of his name. These are your people, your name. You need to act. You have Job in the book of Job opening up his heart to God uh, without crossing the line. He dared say all those things to God. And of course, if we read all the Psalms of David, he's constantly pleading with God. Because these people know that prayer changes things. What about in the New Testament? Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wrestled in prayer, uh, drops of his, his teardrops were like drops of blood, and he wanted his disciples to come and watch and pray. And that, that had a double meaning. Watch so that the, the, the uh, guards, the temple guards, wouldn't come too early to capture him. He needed time to finish wrestling in prayer. But he also wanted them to pray alongside to support him in prayer. Paul writes in Colossians 4 verse 12, Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you. It's an athletic term. Some of you are very sporty. Some of you are very athletic. Some of you have got a lot of stamina. And maybe you, you have a goal for your, for your, you know, your, 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 your sport or your uh, fitness training or whatever. And these are the sorts of words Paul uses in, in the context of prayer because we need to persist in prayer. We need to wrestle in prayer because we believe when God answers, he really answers. And that's worth waiting for. So verses 1, 6, and 9 does, uh, I won't read those verses again, talks about when God has answered prayer. And so there's always a before, before we pray, and an after when God answers. Uh, Say, for example, to use a contemporary example, we're praying for a medical problem, we pray for healing. God can answer miraculously, and uh, if someone's got cancer, and then through prayer, the doctors can't detect a cancer anymore. They can't explain it, uh, but all the instrumentation, all the tests reveal the cancer is gone. Or God heals the, the patient through cancer treatment. And um, um, some of you know my background is chemistry, so I've been looking up cancer drugs and uh, discovering what sort of compounds. And uh, I can sort of reveal, I suppose. When I saw Jordan, I said, what's, what's Jennifer doing now? And, and he said, doing this. I said, is she doing cisplatins? And I just, you know, read up about a certain class of chemicals that are used for cancer treatment. And when I called my, my colleague the other day, because there's a big funeral coming up tomorrow and I was hoping to prepare for it for one of my professors, but I won't be able to attend, he revealed to me 
that he was preparing some compounds for another colleague for this cancer research. So when we pray for healing, there's, there's no... Don't be surprised if God miraculously heals or he uses medical science, which is improving diabetes. That's God's gift to us. And God uses this to heal us. But God may choose not to heal us. I may have used this example in years past, but there's a Scandinavian American, Joni Erickson. She had a diving accident when she knew her late teens, maybe, and she became a, a quadriplegic. And she prayed earnestly for prayer. The churches got around her, prayed for prayer, uh, for healing. She didn't get healed. But God gave her inner strength, and for many years she's been uh, a servant of God, preaching the gospel and touch many lives. So there's a before and after. But we cannot prejudge how God will answer the prayer. But when God does answer, we need to respond. Verse 5, we will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up our banners in the name of God. Remember again, Pastor Kamal's sermon on Psalm 103. Give God the credit. Don't, don't shut up and zip up and clam up. Tell others about what God has done in your life through answered prayer. Tell them that God is real. Being a believer is not easy. But God does answer prayer. This is what God did to me. Now, um, have you been following the news from China? What do the protesters do in China? You all know what this means, huh? You do? Nod for yes, for no. You don't know? You don't watch news? You only watch Netflix, all right? So you don't watch news. So this, this is a blank piece of paper, which means they can't speak publicly in China. We want to speak. We want freedom. And, this is it. and they, put it, they put it in the prison for holding up these blank things. Right? They can't do this. They can't hold up a banner and say this. Right? Who can read this? Ronnie, dying on No, no. it's it's verse twenty. We trust it in the name of the Lord of hosts. Um, I think the ladies here will appreciate this. Lift up banners in the name of the Lord. What's a banner written on? A piece of cloth. And we're talking about, let's say, a thousand years BC. Did they have cloth in those days? And if they did, how did they make their cloth? They didn't, they didn't have, you know, automatic looms. The spinning jenny hadn't been invented. It was all hand How did they make cloth? And how big would the banner be? And how much time would it take to make the banner and then write on whatever language it is, uh, you know? Praise the Lord, or hallelujah, or whatever, whatever you want to write. That was a mammoth thing. So we, we don't understand the context, but lift up the banners, shout it aloud, tell people that God answers prayer. And God can be trusted. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, in terms of um, uh, anthrop anthrop anthropology, the Philistines were in the Iron Age. The Israelites were not in the Iron Age. And uh, 1 Samuel 13, 22 says that 
Only Saul and Jonathan had swords of iron. The others had swords of bronze, maybe? But a bronze sword against an iron sword, you know, it's sort of like a, a stick against... Um, um, what does... Um, Star Wars, what's it called? Laser gun, what's it called? Lightsaber. That woke you up, maybe. The Philistines were in the Iron Age. And only the Egyptians and the Philistines had horses and chariots, not Israel. But we do know that in, Samuel's, sorry, in Solomon's time, after David's time, uh, the empire was at its greatest extent, and there were horses, and they reference to Solomon's stable for horses. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. This is taken from warfare language. It's taken to refer to some trust in the most up-to-date warfare technology. What is it? Is it, is it space wars, you know, lasers from outer space? Whatever is the most up-to-date and most sophisticated uh, warfare technology, that's what people trust in. You cross the line, I'll use my warfare. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And David has able to testify again and again that God has answered his prayer. And then even though God didn't deliver him, God gave him strength so that he could rise up and stand firm. So if we looked at the context of prayer, the contents of prayer, and the contrast, the change of prayer does, and I want to end by looking at the confidence of the prayers of Christ. As a human being, Christ prayed with full confidence. He is the anointed one. He is the Christ. Christ is the Greek word for anointed one. He is the Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew word for anointed one. And we read in Hebrews 5 verse 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. So friends, God can be trusted. He does answer prayer. And as he answers our prayers, we, we are emboldened uh, to keep on praying and keeping, keep on entrusting our lives to God. We began our service with Psalm 98, verses 1 to 3. Sing to the Lord a new song. It doesn't mean every day it's a song we've never sung before. What it means is we sing to the Lord an ever new song, whatever the day is. Our hearts are ever new with praise and thanksgiving to God. And so I want to end with an acronym because I'm told if you trust the internet, we trust in God, we don't trust in the internet, but if you trust the internet on this occasion, the name of Jaden can mean God hears. And so for this, uh, this, uh, this um, acronym might help us to understand prayer. Jesus answers your desires every new day. Every day it's new. He answered my prayer X years ago. But the important thing, did he answer my prayer yesterday? Did he answer my prayer this morning? Does God answer prayer? Yes, he does. Let's respond appropriately when he answers. Amen.